This is Rough Drafts Welcome, the podcast where you can mess up, and we can too. I'm Sachiko. And I'm Erin. And together with the editors at Salt and Sage Books, we're changing the face of storytelling one rough draft at a time. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Rough Drafts. Welcome. As promised, I have brought Amy back to talk with us. Uh, This is part of our February series all about romance novels, and we are really excited to have Amy here with us to chat about what actually makes a healthy relationship and how we as authors can work towards that in our writing and, you know, why it matters all of the above. So hello, Amy. Hello. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to have you here. This is, I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Um, so we'll, let's just start at the beginning. Um, I said in the first episode that we did for February is that I am really a latecomer to the romance genre. Um, as a teenager and as an early 20s-er, like all through my 20s, really, I kind of looked at romance with a little bit of like disdain and scorn and have only really come into feeling like I actually really enjoy it as a genre. And it's, it's been, I mean, we could go all into why romance is like demonized in circles, but uh, that's my personal history with romance. So I feel like I'm looking at it through more of an adult lens. I never really had the ironically really romantic associations tied up in romance novels. And I'm curious, what is your history with romance novels? How do you approach them? What, what biases do you bring to the conversation? Um, I think I'm a little opposite from you. So I really enjoyed some, particularly YA or historical fiction romance, um, from the time that I was a teenager into my young adult years and pretty much my whole adult life, you know, wasn't allowed to read them when I was younger, but, uh, once I was, I have read them regularly. I wouldn't say it's like my like that that's what I read constantly, but it's in the rotation of the different genres that I um, read. I do have to say that since I have gone to school and done my training and I'm a therapist now, I feel the same way about movies too, really, where movies that I used to love and then I watch them and I'm like, oh, that's actually so unhealthy (laughs) and I really don't watch that anymore. Um, So I think I definitely have become... uh, maybe a little bit more of a harsh critic when it comes to uh, the books that I read. Yes, yes, yes. I feel like that is very true. I feel the same way with, honestly, all of the media that I consume, that it's easy. Well, easy maybe isn't the right word, but it's. I think it's part of growing up that you start to learn to apply a more critical lens to the things that you are consuming as far as media goes. And then that's kind of where we come in with sensitivity reading that we hope that as people are getting, they become more thoughtful about the things that they create and the things that they consume that you can come and talk with a sensitivity reader and we can help you make sure that like you nailed it. All right. right. So I'm sad to start here because it is my favorite movie of all time, but can we talk about Beauty and the Beast? (laughs) <laughs> I I yeah. don't know why it's funny that I say like I didn't love romance very much but then like Beauty and the Beast is like the movie for me that was uh-huh. so important um uh-huh. but let's let's talk about Beauty and the Beast tell us what 
like this whole trope that I feel like happens a lot in fiction, but especially romantic fiction, where there's this beautiful girl. She's almost always white. She's skinny. She's conventionally attractive. She has very symmetrical features. Um, her waist is like the size of a pencil in these animated right, It's all that ones. Disney princess stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. And then she comes in and magically changes a man. And Beauty and the Beast is a really like intense example of this, where he literally has a physical transformation into a human that all of us agree was not a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> so mm, 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 exactly mm-hmm. that. Everyone's like, uh, we're like oh back into the way you were before please why, why did why did they do that why didn't they give him a beard at least like don't come on make sense. Yeah. anyway zero out of ten prince adam no the beast 10 out of 10 prince adam no the whole point of the beauty and the beast is that somehow bell just like is magically able to change him or that he changes for her. And like, we see this so much. I feel like it shows up everywhere. Like even in just cultural ideas that, I mean, we've all heard, we've had our friends say like, oh, but I can change him. He has this thing, but like, I know just what to say. I know just what to do. I can just say the right thing. And then he will, ta-da, he's fixed. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, I, I think it's very much a romanticized and codependent perspective. You know, we could, it's that all you need is love. Um, and we very much have that as a culture, that idea that, oh, I understand him. And and if we're bringing it more into present day, this is like, I get his trauma. I can see why he is the way that he is. But if I just love him in this way, he won't need to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very much a perspective that we like to think is romantic, but is really manipulation if you look at it when you step back. Because it's ultimately just me as the woman saying, I can do X, Y, Z and make you be who I want you to be. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, besides that our attempts aren't really very healthy or helpful, it also doesn't actually work in the end. And that can also feel very frustrating because we mm-hmm. expect that we should have control and then we can't control the other person. And that can be very frustrating. Yeah, seriously. Well, and we see well, it I'm... a lot. Sorry, what? Oh, I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. My bad. Um, I feel like it happens. So, I mean, obviously that's Disney movies and that's like a broader thing. But then we also have this um, the secondary idea from like the little mermaid and I'm, I'm going deep cuts here, but like from Greece where the girl has to change for the, for the boy. And I'm going to use girl and boy specifically in this one because in little mermaid, they are children, but yeah. So I feel like it can happen both ways that we can say like, Oh, she's now changing so that she fits better into his world. And he is now changing so that he fits better into her world. And I think at the core of both of those is this idea that who you are as a baseline person is not enough or not good enough or not worthy of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's there's just this whole, it probably ties in with capitalism since everything does, but just that pattern of 
never good enough and like always need to be improving and always need to be someone different and new. But I think also in, in movies and in books, you know, we have those tropes that are there because we want to see the character develop over time. And so it has to be some flaw that we're focusing on. But I think a lot of the problem in those dynamics is that it portrays one person in the role of being like this damaged person or unacceptable just in general society for whatever reason you know with ariel she obviously was a mermaid and that wasn't okay um and but the beast like we're talking about like rage issues right yeah um and aggression and i think one of the big problems is that the other person is never portrayed with any flaws right like Mm -hmm. if you look at bell what flaws was she ever shown to have? Yeah, mm-hmm. she's pretty like she doesn't like Gaston, but who, who, none of us think that's a flaw. Yeah, exactly. That's probably something that makes her even she greater. Reads. She's, that's yeah, the she thing that is her flaw. She reads and she's weird. <laughs> like, okay. Which isn't really a flaw. And we know that, right? Like, same thing with Prince Eric. If you're looking at him, what are his flaws? He's extra adventurous. It's like going into an interview when they ask you what your weaknesses are and you say that you're a bit of a perfectionist. It's like, check, okay, that's just someone I want on my team. It's not actually a flaw. Um, And I think that that can be a really big issue when it comes to codependency because it sets up that pattern of like, okay, you're the one that's the rescuer here and you're the one that's the victim or you're the one that's like so mean. And I, if I just rescue you well enough, then everything will work out. Oh, yes. Can you talk a little bit about the, um, what do they call it? The drama triangle? Hmm? The triangle yeah. or something? I'm going to find a picture of it here and put it up so that people can see. Um, it's called the Karpman drama triangle. Um, and there is the flip side as well that's called the empowerment triangle. So when we're operating from a place of trauma, which usually means the skills that we learned when we were children and maybe we haven't had the opportunity to mature them yet. When we are triggered in some way, then our main ways of communicating with each other will fall into one of the three pieces of the triangle. We can either be in the rescuer we or, oh, you're pulling up a picture here. We can also be perfect in the persecutor position or the victim. So when we're looking at that drama triangle again, the way that they frame it, even in the pictures seems pretty like heavy and bad and, oh, you shouldn't do this, but it's something that we all do Mm -hmm. and is very normal. It's just a part of kind of immature emotional knowledge, you know, and not having a lot of practice with how to communicate better. Um, And when we're looking at moving into a healthier place, that's where that top Um, triangle comes in. So rather than trying to rescue someone and doing for them what they might be able to do for themselves and having your own self-worth be impacted and you feeling good by being able to rescue the other person, instead you take on more of a coaching role where you allow someone to make mistakes and do everything that they can do for themselves, but you maintain a position of like, I still like you as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's going to be a very different feeling in a relationship. Um, And you can go the opposite direction for any of those uh, different roles. This is a really helpful tool that I particularly use when it comes to relational conflict with couples um, or just in families generally. And it's very easy when it's triggering our own trauma 
to just immediately flip into that drama triangle space. Well, and it's interesting to me to think about it from a fiction perspective, because if I'm imagining like, I don't know, um, just, just let's say a stereotypical random romance novel that I'm going to make up right now. You have the woman who is the victim, the man who is the rescuer. You are required to finish that triangle. You have to have a persecutor and the persecutor has to be coming after the victim. So you'll see this in stories where it's like, oh, her ex-boyfriend won't leave her alone or she has stalking charges or something along those lines. And I'm not trying to say that those situations don't exist and that they don't deserve to be like showcased in fiction. I think they do, but that it can very quickly turn into the drama triangle where um, she is incapable of helping herself or is led to feel like she is incapable of helping herself. Like she can't pursue her own healing without the help of, the man who is rescuing her and that can become kind of like, I I understand why people find it deeply romantic because it heals this idea of like, she has been hurt so deeply by um, this man before. And now this rescuer comes along and he's like, I'm not like other men. And I don't know why he's always like a firefighter or something, but like, he's a, he's a literal rescuer Um, or like he, I don't know, fosters puppies or something like that. And again, not to say that men don't do that. Please give me more puppy foster romantic leads. I would love more of that, but that we, we set them up to be this like magical. um, It really is almost like they'll wave their magic wand and then ta-da, all my problems are going to go away because I finally found a man I could trust. Mm -hmm. And that's not. (laughs) Right. And I think. I, I want to touch on something because you mentioned, um, you know, that we, we naturally have those options to come into and it feels really good. Like we feel drawn to that for some reason. Yeah. If the reason I frame it as something that we experience as children, and if we aren't able to kind of process that in appropriate ways, then it sticks around is because if you think about you as a child in an experience you are more likely to be a victim and not be able to do something to change the situation that you're Mm -hmm. in. You don't have the same kind of power as an adult would to be able to change something, right? Like if you were being bullied at school, you could talk to the adults about it and there's going to be a limit to what it is that you could actually do. Or if you were being um, expected as a child to take care of all of your younger siblings or to help one of your parents feel good when they were struggling, you would legitimately be in the rescuer role where you felt an outsized sense of control over managing that situation. And that was probably how you felt love from your parent. Um, And so you can see all those dynamics showing up in childhood. And that's part of why we recreate them in these settings. Because if I really needed to be rescued as a child and I never was by my parent, then I'm going to be searching out someone else who's going to have those same patterns so that I can process that unresolved trauma. And so I think it's very normal for us to be in that place, but I think there has to be some intentionality around what is the end goal exactly, right? Mm -hmm. We can definitely use the drama triangle when it comes to fiction or in movies and things like that, but it would be nice to see that some of the character development that is happening is not just a continued pattern of, hooray, she was rescued, um, but 
hooray, she was rescued and then realized that actually this wasn't going to 100% solve the problems. And she still felt those insecurities coming up. And maybe it started annoying her partner how much he had to always step in all the time to help her. And so then they move into this place where she learns that she actually has more power and has a voice and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, But I think if it, if the end goal, that's the sunshine and daisies, hooray, happy end of the movie is just, you know, Cinderella being saved by the prince and then she doesn't have to deal with her family anymore. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not actually going to resolve that issue. And it will show up over and over and over and over and over again until it is. Um, at least in real life. Yeah. I think too, that's where you get um really interesting conflicts in like there's so much okay. I often hear people talk about romance novels with the sense of like a sigh where they say like, oh, but it's all just the miscommunication trope. And like, we're so tired of the miscommunication trope. And like, oh, if they would just learn to communicate more clearly, maybe we wouldn't have this miscommunication trope. And it seems to me that um, sometimes it's difficult to think of a good conflict that will lead to a happy ending. That isn't, I understand why people reach for communication tropes as creators and as authors, because then all it takes is one real good conversation and then voila, everything is kind of repaired versus if Mm -hmm. you're going in and being like, okay, well, she is consistently in this rescuer mode and he is consistently in this victim mode. I feel like that, like that creates such a rich, that's such a rich area to explore as far as like tension in the relationship and conflict. But I wonder how many of us as readers struggle to move through that because we think that the couple won't make it, maybe? Mm. I mean, I I think it speaks to your different intentions of when you're reading why you want to read, you know, because I feel like it's the same as if you have been super stressed and you just want to watch Hallmark movies where everything is very predictable and you know Mm -hmm. exactly what's going to happen and it may not be healthy and it's totally not realistic, but like, we don't care. We can imagine that we like over a weekend leave our rich job and then go and live out in the cottage and have amazing, wonderful things happen. Right. Yep. With with our magical gingerbread maker. Yeah. Only wears plaid shirts. So I think some of it has to do with like, what's the intention of the, entertainment or books or whatever that we're participating in because if it is um to tap into that kind of fantasy and or like escape from reality I think that that's fine I think it just would be good for us to be understanding that that is what it is that we're doing um and not setting it up as like this is actually what relationships do look like yes and Mm. that this is normal um when you are going to have a relationship, this is what you should expect from your partner, because that's not, that's going to lead to a lot of disappointment. So you bring up such a good point. And I'm feeling a little worried that the way that I am describing this and talking about it, that it might, someone might uh, very reasonably assume that I think we should not have any drama triangle stuff and that all relationships and all creation should be healthy. And that's, that's not at all what I mean. Um, and probably important to share my own experience with this. When I very first started reading romance novels as an adult, I was um, married and I was not very 
happy in my marriage. And my spouse is aware of this and I feel comfortable sharing it because it's my experience. But the way that I experienced those, um, the book boyfriends was in comparison to my spouse at the time. Yeah. And I say specifically my spouse at the time, not because I have a new spouse, but because we have worked through a lot of the stuff. And so we have grown together and we are in a different place now, but it was really difficult for me to read these stories where the man was rescuing his partner or where he came in and just had magically the right things to say, or like he'd been paying really close attention to how much she loved shoes and bought her a pair that she's wanted for forever because he saw her scrolling on Pinterest and he noticed like all of those little things that in a novel make us go, Oh, I was looking at that and then looking at my real life and being like, this is going to make me so I've just felt so sad. Um, actually, once I realized that that's what was happening, um, I had to take a break from reading romances for a while because the comparisons that I was making within myself got really unhealthy really quickly because I was putting my real life human spouse up against a fictionalized man. And those are not the same thing. You should not compare them. So for me, it became um, an issue where it was genuinely impacting like my quality of life. So when Mm -hmm. I'm talking about like these drama triangles and why I feel like they're harmful, that's the stance that I'm coming from. I'm not at all Mm -hmm. trying to say that like everything in fiction should be perfect and that we should only show healthy relationships. But that for me, it had the impact of making my own real life relationship feel a lot less satisfying. And that was, that was a hard lesson to learn. And Mm -hmm. it has made me kind of wary again, at least for, for the next several years of picking up romance novels again, because I felt so worried that my brain would just immediately get sucked into this fantasy of like, well, why can't I have that? Why don't Mm -hmm. I deserve that? Why am I not good enough? And then you read the descriptions of these, uh, the female protagonists who are like, oh, I'm a little overweight, but I'm just so charming. Or, oh, my curve. I don't know why they can't just describe them as fat, but like my curves. Okay. Or like that she's, <laughs> I just never knew I was beautiful, but then I took off my glasses and voila, I'm suddenly this sport. Like, <laughs> But you know, uh-huh. at a certain point you stop saying, okay, well, why is my spouse not this? And if you have that dynamic where the girl or the the woman does things in the story that like manipulate the man, but they work and they're shown in this like romanticized way, then that can start for me. It really like dug deep into my brain and made me be like, well, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe it's because I don't wear enough makeup. Maybe it's because Mm -hmm. I'm not dressing good enough. Maybe it's because I don't own a pair of high heel red shoes. Like, but Mm -hmm. that really got into my head and made it hard for me to feel happy for quite quite a lot of months. So yeah, well, that's, my, that's my background. It's really interesting because, you know, from a therapeutic standpoint, when we encounter something that we find very distressing and it kind of puts us into a spirally place, that is an area to be curious about, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's some unmet needs there or some some things that are not quite resolved. And so moving to a place of like, well, I'm just not going to look at that stuff or it's like the book's false that it's coming up is 
totally understandable, especially depending on what we have, like the capacity to dig into at the are moment. You, are We're you not saying going that? To. Did I put the the romance novels in the place of the persecutor <laughs> in my drama triangle? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe a little. Which again, like we all do, and it's not something that is pathological, because again. From my perspective, everything that comes up for us in our brains, well, that's a, sim, that's a generalization that I'm like, no, that's not true for OCD. Um, the things that our bodies are bringing up are generally from a place of, hey, this might need some attention, mm-hmm. right? And the things that our bodies do are generally in a survival benefit in some way, right? And so if you are noticing that you're in a place that fits with the persecutor role or that fits with the victim role. That's not something that we need to be like, oh no, I'm doing something wrong, bad me, right? It's just an area to look at, you know, when did I feel this way for the first time? Mm-hmm. And maybe I still have some unresolved things in this area or I'm not, I have some deficits or a lack of support in how to do like that empowerment stuff. Right. But if we're bringing it back to writing and to novels, I feel like a really significant piece of this is, like you said, it's not that we shouldn't be portraying those because that kind of stuff happens all the time. And that is realistic to a degree to be able to have that kind of stuff in there. But it's just thinking about when's the last time that you've read a romance novel that actually showed healthy relationship. Yeah. You know, when's the last time that you read a book where, the partner was sick and expected the other person to just immediately take care of them. And instead the other person says, I know that you need a lot of help and support right now, but I actually have other things going on for me and I'm not going to be able to do that 100%. So I have like this much bandwidth. What can I do for you in this space? And then you're going to have to like reach out to other people for support on the other things, because I can't be the only thing that keeps you okay. Right. And I think that that's part of the problem is that there's just such a deficit in seeing healthy relationship endings, you know, like we don't even have to start there, but just seeing that be part of the character development that happens. And I don't think that that happens very often. So then we just think like you experienced that this is just normal and this is what everybody's like, except for me, I guess. Yeah. Well, and especially if the way that you are experiencing um, relationships is primarily through a fictional lens. Um, especially, especially if you grew up with, um, parents whose relationship was not particularly healthy, it's really difficult, I think, to find examples of relationships that are healthy and that are also realistic. I think this is also Mm -hmm. why we see in so many romance novels, um, so many romances are, we meet, we struggle, we're dating and we're together and getting together is the happy ending. Yes. And like, you don't see very many romance novels um, featuring married couples. Like Mm -hmm. I can think of one series written by Mary Robinette Koal and it is a Regency romance with magic and it's delightful and you should look it up. But um, that is the only series I have ever read where it is a romance, but they're married and like, they have to keep dealing with stuff through Mm -hmm. their marriage. And like, they disagree and they fight and they get mad at each other. And I remember reading that and just looking at it and being like, what is happening? (laughs) 
I don't know. This how is to- not how it's supposed to be. This is where the movie ends. Yes. But so yeah. we don't have, we don't have that. Like there is so much romance in the, Ooh, will they, won't they, will they, won't they, will they, won't they, I don't know. And then to take your romance novel and decentralize that as the main question is tricky. I get why people don't do it because it's hard, but I, man, I feel hungry for more of that though. More of like, how do we actually resolve conflict with two adults in a relationship? How do we, how do we do that? And I, I'm, you brought up, um, like when people have different needs, when you have to move into like a caregiver role and that help that happens with, um, I mean, physical things, um, mental things, emotional things, when mental health comes along and like throws a wrench in your relationship, the way that relationships have to be really um, flexible is maybe also part of the reason that it's so tricky to write about them. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I do think that there is probably a market there that we just don't think exists because that's part of it as well. Is it like, this is just how we do things and this is what people like to read. Mm -hmm. But I I feel like it's kind of when you're branching out and opening up a new area to, um, to explore, like that's uncharted territory and that can feel maybe a little bit more insecure, but even that example of will they or won't they, I mean, that is, very consistently a thread that goes through most people's relationships who are not viewing their commitment in the relationship as a final thing Mm. right because really we're we're committing every day to what it is that we want to do but we also in our culture tend to have this idea that there is only one commitment and that if somebody continues to change in your relationship, that's too bad. You're just going to stay with them anyway. And that's also not really healthy. So I think the idea that there could be a married couple with a romance novel where they're going through one of those same will they, won't they things. I mean, that's totally plausible. It's very realistic, but we just don't write about it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why, you know, other than it's just not really a normal thing to do. Maybe it hits too hard for some of us. We're like, I don't, I'm not here to read about real life. <laughs> I'm here, I'm here to enjoy yeah. and relax and have some escape. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. But I do think that there are a lot of people, you know, I, I know for me in the in what I read, I have a portion that is that kind, like where I don't have to be connected to deeper stuff and where I can just like relax and have fun and enjoy a thing. Mm -hmm. But I also have a portion of what it is that I am reading pretty consistently. That is a more in-depth thing that is a, okay, let's look at this. Let's analyze this. What is it that's happening here? How could I learn from this? And I, I don't know if that's typical as a therapist, maybe it would be typical for other therapists, but I'm not sure. Um, But I do definitely think that there are people who would be willing and interested in reading those kinds of things, you know? Mm -hmm. For sure. This conversation with Amy is just too good to cut short. So come back next week and join us in part two. This has been Rough Drafts Welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Got any questions? We would love to hear them. Got a complaint? We'll hear it too. Yep. Leave us a five-star review. Pretty please. And thank you. And if you want to book with Salt and Sage Books or learn anything else about what we do, or if you want to work with us or take our courses or blah, 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 you can find us at www.saltandsagebooks.com. 
and we're all over social media too. We sure are. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.